Are we recording? No, too much, too much, too much, too much. Hey everyone, welcome to Ducks Watch Together. My name is Kylie. I'm Josh. And today we're talking about the five favorite Coen Brothers films. Woo! I don't think they'd appreciate that. Yeah! Josh, I think they would appreciate something more like... Okay. The Fargo theme always makes me think of the song. It's like El Cordon Pasa, even though they're from two different parts of the world. I mean, fair. Music one can be is similar. Norwegian and one is Peruvian. But here I am. Making those connections. <laughs> Making those. I always thought, like, mm, this is. I, I used to think I was like, oh, they're just using. The Simon and Garfunkel song. And then when I watched Intolerable Cruelty, because that starts out with the Simon and Garfunkel song, I was oh. like, I was right. And then I looked up stuff, and I was very wrong. Yeah. I am the opposite of right. Okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but those are my thoughts on scores. Love it. It's good thoughts. Good Fargo thoughts on Carter Burrell scores. I think my Fargo one is my favorite. My Fargo one. Your, my your Fargo. specific Fargo score? Yeah. It's the one I remember the most. But I don't know if that's because it's, like, ingrained in my brain or if it's because Fargo's the one I've seen the most. The Coen Brothers film I've watched the most. I think that it's one of the more iconic ones. Mm -hmm. I think because, like, you can put that music on and be like, Fargo, like, I know that one. Um, it's cold and icy and yeah, distant. It, it, and, yeah. like, you feel like you're on the North D South Dakota, the tundra. D the Dakota tundra. Wisconsin. North. North. <laughs> um... Canada. I think if I had to pick my favorite Brainerd. score, Fargo is two. Miller's Crossing. Miller's Crossing is one. Because no. you're like, look at the trees, Kylie. No. And I was like, what are you talking about? Look at the trees, Kylie. <laughs> not the hats. The trees. The trees are the real key. <laughs> They're not. It's a piece of the puzzle you're missing, Kylie. Did you know there's a theory out there that Gabriel Byrne's apartment is actually the inner workings of his head? I don't care. Okay, great. Josh, I I don't care. There are so many I'm gonna do this episode. When do we get to do this one? Whenever you want to do Manchester by the Sea, you can put that sucker on the calendar. It just makes me feel so much Did better. Did we not talk about Manchester by the Sea? Well, when no, it was, it was in the 2016 times, but times has changed, Josh. Times is hard. It's so good. Look at how good it is. She covers up Casey Affleck. <laughs> Michelle Williams! My heart's breaking! It's so full of sadness! Oh, so good. What? Maybe they should just put Kyle Chandler on there. He's also great. Lucas? <laughs> Lucas is there? <laughs> the girl from Moonrise Kingdom's all grown up and is in there? Ky Kylie? Kaylee? Kyrie? Kylie? Kaylee? Kyrie? No, Kyrie's the girl from the, the Keyblade video game. <laughs> Kingdom Hearts. Yeah! Yeah. Great. Kayla Hedwig. Hedwig's an owl, man. <laughs> it could be other things. Cara Hayward. Oh, there you go. Your computer was faster than mine. Well, I don't have 20,000 lists saved onto my computer. I mean, fair. All I right. Like, I like lists. Lists are good. I know, Josh. I'm going to stop being critical. It's okay. You can be critical. No, I'm not here to be critical. I hope that you all enjoyed that last episode. It was... <laughs> 
a lot of me talking. Uh, I wanted to give you that, Josh, because when but, it comes to Bon Joon Ho, I'm going to talk. Good, I'm glad. <laughs> I, I don't have... think this podcast should be just me talking. I think it should be a conversation. I can't conversate on some levels as you, though. You can. You're so much smarter about That's things. not true. I you just... understand how film works. And I'm over here like, I like The Big Lebowski because it's funny. That's great. I like, I, But like, that's the thing is, I think you can and you do like interact on that level as well. Because I don't think that there's... Can I talk a- about Dark Phoenix for a second? Yeah, go for it. Yeah. It's been out for three weeks at this point. Really? Yeah. Well, we haven't talked about it up until now. But we really haven't. Uh- do you think I've seen it by this point? No. No. I don't think you're going to see it. Yeah? Yeah, I think that you would be okay with just this chapter of your life not closing. (laughs) As I ended my review, well, everyone, another chapter of my life has come to an end. The Fox era X-Men films are now over. And then I immediately put in parentheses, is New Mutants coming out? (laughs) (laughs) And then I ended with... This last paragraph is just it's too good not yeah, to share. Go for it, yeah. But keep in mind that as we go on, we remember oh, all the times God. that we had together. And as our lives change, come whatever, we will still be friends forever. We will still be. I also like my statement of Jessica Chastain's of I plays a pack of flowers. That's a good one. That's solid. Alright, that's been my thoughts on Dark Phoenix. Yeah, I will probably get around to Dark Phoenix at some point. It, you better hurry. Well, but you no, should... like the next three weeks I don't actually have a lot of time. So like exactly. I'm trying to go see uh Branagh's Shakespeare, because that actually opened here. Yep, mm-hmm. Yes. You should date, you should read David Ehrlich's review because it's it's not actually about the film of Dark like, Phoenix. Yeah, it's actually really good. It's about nice. our life. Ooh, I love it. <laughs> it's about us. <laughs> it's about as our lives change from, <laughs> from whatever. whatever. Um, um, so that's my thought on Dark Phoenix. Have you seen other other good movies recently? I saw Dog's Journey. Oh yeah. yeah, I watched Dog's Way Home. Did you return that Netflix DVD? It's sitting over there. Josh, <laughs> I didn't know if you wanted me to mail it or not. Yeah. Okay. I don't know where it is. It's under okay. Anne's work laptop, okay. apparently. Yeah, because I want to get my next film. What did you think of uh, the second dog talk dog movie? I had no right, Josh. <laughs> I will watch it eventually. It's just, I don't know. Like, it's a dog. I love talking dog movies. They aren't literally exactly what I expect them to be. Right? Every single time. No more, no less. You were trying to, like, break down the mechanics of <laughs> A Dog's Way Home to a point that I was getting frustrated with you. What do you think I do when I watch a movie? <laughs> but you're like, see, why well, don't any of the other animals talk? And it's just, a good question. Josh, I mean, like... Sure. Why doesn't the cougar talk in, like, the journey, long journey, the way journey home, the journey home? Homeward Bound? Yeah. <laughs> Josh. Yeah. Okay, I don't know if... No, focus on me. Okay. I don't know if this happens in a Coen Brothers film or in a different film, but does the film end with the protagonist? It's it's Inside Lewin Davis. There it is, you got there. <laughs> but like, all I remember is the protagonist going up to a movie poster. That's the movie yeah, poster. it's Homeward Bound. And I was yeah. literally like, this is a little on the nose there. Um, this is, uh... 
the sixties version of <laughs> Homeward Bound. Is that the one where they actually kill animals? Uh, I don't think so. Milo and Otis, they super kill some animals. I think they all kill them all the same. You're probably not wrong. I liked a dog's journey more than a dog's purpose. Okay. But like, man, you know, like... Where do the dogs way home rank in this? I don't know. I have to rewatch a dog's purpose. Okay. I don't, like, a dog's purpose. I, it was not good. What? It was That's, not good. I mean, like, not much, like, <laughs> the dog's journey. <laughs> dog's way home. Those were, like, spectacular. Uh, Just to be fair, a dog's purpose was in my top five for 20-whatever for, like, three months. It was your kid who would be king. <laughs> it was pretty high up in your list for a while, too. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> we just didn't have any films. Um, I somehow a dog's way home got, like, two stars from me. So, like, that's a win. I, you know, most talking dog films, two stars is, like, <laughs> where they start at. And if they don't, like, ruin it. Do you know what other films the director of A Dog's Way Home directed? You know what I was, should ask? Oh, what? I should ask. I'm interviewing the Coens. Uh-huh. What's your thoughts on Airbud? So, do you know what other film <laughs> that A Dog's Way Home director directed? Airbud? Airbud. <laughs> I was like, Kyle, I set you up for it. Really? Yes. Okay. Yes. I went to film school so I could make talk movies. <laughs> I feel like that would be me. Like, I'm going to fix the genre. I'm going to go in there with hammer and nails and we're going to fix this. Did you know that the Coens have said that they openly hated working with the cat inside Lewin Davis? I... Like, he was the worst. They're like, listen, if anybody wants 20 hours of footage of a cat not doing what we want it to. Get a better trained cat. <laughs> That's what I said. Like, if your cat's not going to do it for you, get rid of it and start over. Oh, poor kitty. Well, be a bet. Like, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Okay, okay. I'm, I know it's a cat. Uh-huh. Okay? But if you, like, in theory, your cats here are, like, supposed to be trained. Yeah. And if you have a cat that's not doing what's expected, you're not firing the cat, you're firing the cat trainer. Oh, okay. The cat handler. Right. Then you get someone else in who actually trained their cat properly. Now- Final question. I love my Cohen boys. Uh-huh. But do you think that there's a possibility that- They hate animals? Maybe. maybe just maybe, their expectations for, <laughs> I don't know, a cat were a little- too high? I don't know. What is that cat supposed to do? Run across the street? Great. Sure, a cat could do that. Yeah, no, that's what I'm saying. Like, I'm sure that he ran across the street successfully, but the cones were like, ooh, he took seven steps instead of four. Can he do it again? No, get over it, Cohen's. Would, that was, I think, my first interview question. So, boys, what's your favorite dog movie? <laughs> okay. And they'd be like, well, you've never seen one. And they'd probably say, like, Homeward Bound. Or Homeward Journey. Homeward, what is it? Homeward, homeward Bound? Homeward Bound. And I'd be like, hmm. Without ever taking my eyes off of them. You'd be like, which one? Which one? <laughs> and they'd be like, Milo oh. and Otis. They'd be like, Homeward Bound 2, Lost in San Francisco. You know, we really liked Air Bud the volleyball one. Okay, but listen, the only reason I was asking you about why the other animals were talking is because my talking dog reference movie is definitely Homeward Bound, The Incredible Journey, the 1990s one, and all the animals talk there. The cougar doesn't talk. Well, the cougar doesn't need to talk, it's cougar. Why does the leopard not talk in Tarzan? Many questions that I also have. <laughs> this is not exclusive to A Dog's Way Home. Yeah, I mean, like, I mean... 
Why can we only hear Bailey's thoughts? Nope, her name's not Bailey. It's uh, that's Bella. Bella. Bailey is Josh Gad. Okay. Bailey Boss Dog. Bailey, Bailey, Bailey. Bailey, Bailey, Bailey. How was the summer of Quaid so far? It's not a summer of Quaid. You got you've got uh, the Intruder. Wasn't a summer film. You've got a Dog's Way Home. No, Dog's Journey. Yeah. Purpose Journey. Okay, so here's what you should know. Uh huh. The Dog's Journey was not to get home, and oh. that's how I remember. Okay. <laughs> Great. Do you think somebody's tuned in to hear us talk about Coen Brothers at this point? I think the Coen Brothers themselves are having a great time with their dog talk. I'm just imagining they're like, oh, these randos are talking about us. We listened to that one episode, that guy talked a lot, but let's see what happens in this one. Dogs? They're talking about dogs. And Dark Phoenix. I'm giving them their due. We just want to know... Where No Country for Old Men ends up on their lists. Number five. Oh, okay. My number five. <laughs> Can we start? Do you said that you were going to come up with a better inquiry of the half-squared Fortnite than what mine was. Uh-huh. Which is? Josh. Yeah. If you... If you were in a Cohen movie. Okay. No, wait, no, what? Here we go, Josh. Oh, okay, great. All right, so I have a, I have, I'm going to ask two questions and you can answer either. Okay. Which Coen Brothers movie that currently exists would you like to live in? And you have to be, you have to be an active participant. You can't say like, oh, I'll be in Hail Caesar, but I'll just be living in California away from all the movie stuff and I'll be fine. Okay. So okay. you have to be an active participant. You okay. might even be one of these main characters. Okay. Okay. So that's your first option. I mean, I could just answer that question. Or. Oh, okay. If the Coen Brothers made a movie about you, are you dead in the end of it, or have you survived? I'm not a lead character in it. <laughs> you're not. I'm a... the side character. Okay, so you're okay. The movie's about Anne, so and I'm off to the side. Okay, do yeah. you survive? Probably. I don't think you do. Oh, okay, great. I think she has to suffer. Do you? What? Do you survive? I think I kill you. No. I, I, I in the story of Anne, I think, as done by the Coen brothers, I think I've killed you. Okay, because she has to suffer. She loses her husband and her best friend. But wouldn't it be more suffering if you die? <laughs> no, because I'm in jail and I get the electric chair. I do like this idea <laughs> that maybe she's gonna solve the crime of my death. Uh huh. And that, and then she, when she finds out that it's you, and then she doesn't tell anyone. Ah, this is the good Coen <laughs> plot. Okay, all right, we've done it. Yep. And think about everything here. Everything here that you want is yours. Uh -huh. Everything you no longer want. Do you want to answer this question? Oh, uh, what would my film be about? I'd probably be a teacher that, like, has a student and the student's brilliant and I try to, like, capitalize on it or something <laughs> like that. Fair. And then, like, it just it ends up terribly and then the kid doesn't know anything. It's just a chicken doing math. And I want to say something real quick. Just a chicken doing math. <laughs> about that thing. Okay, yeah. I can see people pontificate about Shakespeare most places. Kenneth Branagh makes films all the time. Uh, but you know what I cannot see? A chicken doing math. <laughs> So I understand that, that that segment is about, like, the movie industry and how you make true art yeah. and how everyone's just interested in the chicken story. Yeah, absolutely. But, but let me tell you something, Cohen. Uh-huh. You've created something far more interesting for me, is that I could go and get my Shakespeare plenty of places. I cannot go get chickens. But I understand the metaphor. I get the metaphor. 
No, fair, I'm with you. Uh, to answer your other question, which is the question that I really like this question, actually, it is Hail Caesar, and I would want to be a part of the movie industry. Like, done and done. Like, that's. Like, if I could pick a time and place gonna... to just take all of my family and loved ones, it would be, like, 40s and 50s era Hollywood and just call it a fun time. Oh, gosh. Listen, I know it's not perfect. But like we all get to work in the movie industry, you'll be fine, Josh. You're yeah. a white man. Yeah, I'll I'll protect all of you. Uh huh. That's what they all said. With my white men skills. Um, an active participant in. Oh man, I don't want to live in any of these films. Oh, you don't want to be in the true grit world. <laughs> no. <laughs> uh... <laughs> um, I guess I'll. Oh man, that's a scary world too. Listen, Hail Caesar is a pretty normal world. I know, I might have to be in Burn After Reading. <laughs> I was gonna say Burn After Reading! Cause like, you as an active participant could just be like, the guy who finds the CD. Like, that's you. See, like, I w- I, I'm almost Richard Jenkins, but I wouldn't yes. take the final step. Oh no, I wouldn't yeah. Richard Jenkins it all the way. I would stop before I actually make it to John Malkovich's house. Yeah. Richard Jenkins is somebody who I want him to keep working with the Coens because he's the three movies he's in for them. I just like, I don't love, they're like, he's great, but like, it doesn't always come together around him. And I just want them to make a Richard Jenkins led movie. So he's the man who wasn't there in Burn After Reading. What's the other one? Um, the one that's not a movie. Intolerable cruelty. Intolerable cruelty. He's the lawyer. He's the lawyer. He's actually pretty funny. It's my favorite scene. Like, I remember, like, yeah. Like, she rips up the contract, and he's like, oh! Yeah. It's like Mean Girls. Yeah. Did you take... I don't know which one came first. Oh, this one came first, and Mean Girls stole that scene from them. Um, yeah, that's fine. It's good. It's solid. <laughs> yeah. Hey, friends, if you want to answer either inquiry of the Half-Squared Fortnite, which is, which Cohen world would you want to live in and be an active participant in, or what's the Cohen Brothers movie about you? You can do so at friendofafriendpodcast.squarespace.com. You can also find us on Apple Podcasts and iTunes. It was a five-star review or any star review. As well as hit that subscribe button. Have you heard of Adam Sandler's new movie that's coming out? No. Okay. You can also find that. That helps <laughs> my listeners. You can also find us on friendofafriendpodcast.squarespace.com. And now on with the show. What is Adam Sandler's new movie? Is well, it a, it's a Netflix movie, I I'm assuming? A24 is involved with it. Shut the front door. Okay. It's already closed. I think so. I think it is. I'm just I'm getting it. I'm getting it. Okay. Um. It's by the. Okay. So Josh, uh-huh. I know. I think you respect their last film. Okay. You haven't seen their first film. Okay. That's the Safety Brothers. The Sa- okay. Okay. It's called. They did Good Time. Uh huh. Uh huh. And Heaven Knows What. Uh huh. And they're doing this film called Uncut Gems. I'm going to just read you some of the Great. people. Okay. Adam Sandler. Okay. Idina Menzel. Great. Keith Stanfield. I'm on on board. I'm Palm. It's Palm. Palm. Yeah. Palm. Palmatoff. Mantis. Mantis, yeah. Judd Hirsch. Oh, all right. The Weeknd. <laughs> okay, should I have stopped? Should I have stopped a little bit back? You had me at Judd Hirsch. <laughs> You had me at Judd Hirsch. And, like, there's just this picture of Adam Sandler bleeding of everyone. What is this movie about? I, I, I don't know. 
I'm like Josh. I'm not. I, I, uh, All right. Listen, your I, ears are open. Yeah, Adam. You, you Adam Sandler. Back your hair so you can hear it. Yeah, absolutely. Adam Sandler doing something that's not written and directed by Adam Sandler's friends is probably a great thing. Okay. All right, everyone. You heard it here first. We will be doing an episode on Uncut Gems. Well, I don't know about that, <laughs> but we'll be interested in it. Josh, should we re- announce who we're doing our next film? Yeah, our next film- filmography. <laughs> we who don't know we- when. We don't know when yet, but we know who we've done so far. Cohen's uh-huh. and Spielberg, uh-huh. Anderson, uh-huh. Shane Black, Shane Black. Oh yeah, we did that. I don't, I don't think we did. That movie's not playing anymore. And I don't think we did Edgar Wright. I think we just ranked them like our own personal rankings, but we didn't do a whole thing on that. Well, what? That counts as much as Shane Black, right? We. Sure, we did a whole episode on Shane Black though. I think in Baby Driver, we're just like we like. Oh, we okay. Blah, blah, blah. Yeah, okay. Uh, I think that's it. The Kevin Feige songs. We've done all the Russo movies, Russo brothers. They've exclusively yes. done MCU movies. Yeah, no. sorry, I was thinking about who they were. <laughs> you had me lost. <laughs> Great. So, but it's only been those four. Have we done? We didn't do all of Nolan. No, we haven't no. done Nolan. We've done every Batman. We haven't done all yeah. of Nolan. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Who's our next one? Bong Joon-ho. Bong Joon-ho! I, just, yes. I made an executive decision. Good, I'm glad. I... <laughs> You're tired of doing crap Josh wanted. No! I... No! <laughs> well, the Coens got here in a in a poll way. We asked all of our listeners on Facebook. These are the ones that I were rooting for. Yep. Yeah. Um, Shorter filmography. <laughs> so the Coens beat Spike Lee, which I, I would like to do Spike Lee at some point. Also, I don't know when that point will be, but Bong Joon Ho is a more is a smaller, more manageable filmography to do. Also, like we haven't done ex- extensively a lot of foreign film, and like yeah, I you know like Josh, you're or <laughs> you like Okja and I like Okja and Snowpiercer. I love, love Snowpiercer. Yeah. So now I just need to get you on board with Mother, the host, Memoirs of a Murderer. I'm excited for Parasite. Parasite. You, I don't know if we'll do Tokyo. Tokyo's in... To, okay. Why would we not do Tokyo? Well, Tokyo is a three-parter with three different directors, and it's all about Tokyo, but from three different perspectives of no one from Japan. <laughs> okay, great. <laughs> yeah. Perfect. Yep, uh-huh. See what you did there? So he's the he's the South Korean one. So we just gotta do his section. <laughs> we could do the whole thing. Yeah, we could. Um, and then Barking Dog or something. I don't remember what that film was ever called. Is Snowpiercer and Okja are those the only two English language ones? Yes. Parasite is not. I yes. know that. Yeah. Well, all right, so let's get down. Number all right, five. Number five. I've closed this list and opened it six times. Uh, honorable mentions. Uh, the, the rest uh, the, of them. <laughs> the rest of the films except for the Lady Killers. Great. Um, oh, I don't put. Oh, okay, I feel bad. Okay. For what I'm about to say. Okay. I think the Coen Brothers are great. I think I really, really, really like seven of their films. Good. That's not. I think that I enjoy five of their films. And there are six of their films where if you said, Kylie, can we watch this? You'd say no. There's three I would definitely say no. Okay. There's three 
that you might have to do a little bit of convincing. Okay. okay. All right. Should we break it down? Yeah, let's break it down. All right. The three I would absolutely say no to are intolerable, intolerable cruelty because it's not actually a movie. It's just a collection of scenes. <laughs> <laughs> so it's Buster Scruggs? <laughs> oh, that's the And then the lady killers. Okay. Uh, you know, if you, uh, if you, if you, if you talked enough, I might be willing to rewatch the lady killers, but like, it's not like I'm alone and I'm going to watch this. <laughs> You're not like, ah, oh, gotta get me that Hanks. Gotta, gotta go to that one. Okay. Um, with a little bit of, I've probably only got one movie that I wouldn't willingly sit down and watch again. And that's the lady killers. I it's just, there's, it's a huge swing and a miss. I kind of see what they're going for, but I feel like they're doing an imitation of themselves. So, yeah. Okay. Suburbicon? They're suburbiconing They're suburbiconing themselves. Wow. Yeah. All right. Um, uh, let's see. Then, what's your next category up? I, you gotta, like, try and convince me why I should. Okay. All right. Uh, I've, I've got two of those there. I so. got the Hudsucker Proxy. Uh-huh. I got the man who wasn't there. Okay. My... And then I have... Oh, sorry. How can brother where art thou? <gasps> I know, I feel bad. Oh, no. I'm so sorry. It's okay. I don't know if it is. It's totally fine. Are you sure? Yes, it is. <laughs> We will talk more about that movie later. No worries. Why would we do that? What? Well, well I, I will ask you the, the what's that didn't work for you about it a little bit later. But yes, that's fine. So that was just in your... I guess I could I could be convinced. <laughs> yeah. All right. My I could be convinced are um, The Man Who Wasn't There. Um, that one fell a lot for me. It's my second to last one right now. Um, Intolerable Cruelty, which I actually think there's a little bit going on there that I didn't see before. Not a lot bit, but it's just... I didn't have a poor time watching it. And the man who wasn't there is just so... So bleak. Like, what are we doing? <sighs> so yes. Good movie. Well made. I don't know if I'm going to sit down and watch the man who wasn't there all that often. Even though I love um, noir. Uh, and that is kind of my bottom three. What's your What's your next category up called? <laughs> liked it. Yeah, okay, okay. <laughs> I got Barton Fink. I've got Air Raised in Arizona. Uh-huh. I got Burn After Reading. I got Blood... I like them good movies. Don't love them. There we go. That's what it is. Yeah. Burn After Reading, uh, Blood Simple, uh, Hail Caesar, and True Grit. Nice. Mine in that category, moving up, are Raising Arizona, which is a movie that I like and is fun, but I'm not... It, it, it fell a little bit on this ranking just because... I didn't. I wasn't quite meeting it on its level anymore. I was like, "Oh, this is fun. I like the performances," but I wasn't sure of what it was trying to say as much as some of their other later comedies. Uh, Buster Scruggs, which could probably be lower and higher because there are segments that I equally like and dislike. In, but it's it's a real mixed bag of it a film. Slowed down this time. It did slow down this time. Like, and it's one of the few films that on rewatch. I don't get more out of watching that film. I wonder if it's just because it's shorter segments, and so like they don't have enough have not yeah. enough time in each segment to really get their Coheniness. Yeah, in it. I still say I would have much rather had them do a full length of the girl who got rattled and really kind of dive into that story because it's already forty minutes. Mm -hmm. But oh man, when I texted you, I was like, <laughs> "There's only two segments left. Yeah. One hour left." <laughs> but that is the longest segment. Um, Blood Simple. 
Burn After Reading and the Hudsucker Proxy um, are there in that next tier. What's, what? And then for my ones that I love, number six, which is sixth on this list, is a little film called Miller's Crossing. A little film called Miller's Crossing. Um, which is a film I did not know I was going to like, as you opened it with, it's about the Irish Mafia, and you immediately lost me. <laughs> you also said, Kylie, there's a lot of talky talk. You might want to read the subtitles. <laughs> was I wrong? <laughs> He was right. Yeah. Um, my films that I love that just missed my list, and these are some re- some really great films. Um, True Grit, uh, as I said in the last episode, The Big Lebowski has really come up my list quite a bit. It is now number nine on my list. You have it at how many stars? Five stars? Four and a half at Five this st- point. <laughs> um, Joshua. Four and a half. Oh, we're so close. <laughs> Give me a few more years, everyone. I don't even push this film. I know. I'm not the one that's like, Josh, you need to revisit the Big Lebowski. Because you understand how to get me to watch something. It's you don't push it on me. You just say, this is good. And then you let me get to it in my own time. Like... Hey, Josh, you should watch this dog as it's way home. Okay, that one, you literally, the moment you knew I was done watching Coen Brothers movies, you let me send me a text that was, watch the bleeping dog movie. Yeah, I need my new next, my ne- yeah, my absolutely. next Netflix. Um, eight is Hail Caesar, nine is, or sorry, seven is Fargo, and six is Miller's Crossing. And I like Fargo and Miller's right. Crossing. Those are both five-star movies Miller's Crossing is officially their sixth best yeah. film. Both Fargo and Miller's Crossing are five-star great masterpieces for me. I love them both. They're just... For me, I think Coen's are so personal and what's going to land for you that I don't mind if you have... I, I think that there's room for conversation in terms of what is where and what goes where. And I will fully admit, I think my number one film, which is not, I don't think will be a surprise when we get to it, is very personal. And I wouldn't even argue that it's their best movie. It's just my favorite of their movies. If it makes you feel better, I don't, I don't care. I don't think you really care. It's very beloved by others because I was looking for anyone to have my opinion and I couldn't find a single soul. What podcast was I listening to? Um, was it We Hate It's movies? We Got This. Was it, was it, um, <laughs> was it Chris Cabin? Maybe he agreed it with it. It wasn't. Me? It was a, it was a po- co- podcast called We Got This and it's a, it's a comedy podcast where they rank things, just anything and everything. Nah. I should suggest that. You should. Um, and their guest, who I can't remember who it is, he's on Welcome to Night Vale, doesn't like Old Brother Arthur. Also, I don't what know... What is Night Vale? I hear... I know what the... I know the logo, but I don't know what it is. Welcome to Night Vale is a scripted podcast series that is about, like, a small town that's haunted by... Um, horror elements and icons I think you it's basically me. it's radio twilight zone with comedy you lost yeah so sorry all right everyone so my number 5 is the one that got them the Oscar yeah. <laughs> it's no country for old men there it is number 5 number 5 this is this is after their hiatus this is their. I don't even think I can call it a hiatus. Three. It's three years. Three years is a this reasonable This is their break. film that follows up 
Um, Lady, Lady Killers. Killers. Yes. Ah, they needed it. They needed to restart. And I feel like we may be getting to a similar spot now with Buster Scruggs. Just FYI, everybody. Let's just stop. Yeah. Macbeth. Maybe that's what that is. <laughs> okay, so... Uh, you have this on your list, right? You didn't name it before. I have it on my list, yeah. No Country's Great. It's a modern-day Western... Yeah. That, like... Yeah, it's a modern day western. It's not set in contemporary times. Yeah. I was like, yeah, Texas in 2007. It's just this. Tells an interesting story. I know that in the last episode, I definitely, like, spat on Josh Brolin. I think Josh Brolin's great in this film. I think that what's happening around the situation he's in is far more interesting. Lewin himself is just like... This time around, when I was watching Lewin, it didn't... He felt much more of an active participant in what was happening than, I guess, the first time. Yeah. Because the first time, or, like, at least the idea that I had about Lewin after... Before watching, rewatching, was that I was like, well, Lewin is... This is just happening to him, and he's just getting out of it. Yeah. But no, he's active in the way that he figures things out. Like, I think I was thinking about the scene where he's... Buying the tent poles. And I was like, what, what are you doing? And it's also he can drag it through the vent. And yep. I was like, how do you come up with this? <laughs> um, I, I, I think that... I think that it's cliche to say that Javier Bardem is really what makes this film. But it, it, it is. Anton Chigurh yeah. needs to be this mystical character yeah. that we're watching and we're like, what are you? Who? What is happening? What is his haircut? I love that the story of when they offered the part to Javier Bardem, he responded back with, I don't drive, I don't like violence, and I'm not very physical. I don't think you have the right person. And they said, those are the exact reasons why you're the right person. And I, I just, I love that, that's kind of how the casting process and things went for him because what they knew about the character and what the reason why I think Anton Chigurh works so well is that he doesn't relish or revel in the actions that he has to do. And it's not really even about the money for him. It's about the principle and it's about, it's about like, this is mine and you took it. You know, and it's it's not anything other than that. His death and his killing is cold and calculated because that's the way that he sees the world. The world is random chance to him. You are either going to live or you're going to die based upon your actions and no other reasons. You know, he's very much that representation for them of everything random in the world and as well as this monstrous kind of character. I think... The most the scene that gets talked about the most is how much have you ever lost on a coin toss? The scene with him and the gas station attendant. And that scene is filled with so much dread and terror and tension because we as the audience know that this simple gas station attendant is his life is on the line for no other choices than just wanting to run his gas station and that Anton decides that he's not worth living because he didn't 
own the gas station. He inherited the gas station. So he's not an active participant in the world. Therefore, he doesn't need to live in the world. And it's just, that scene to me is talked about, and it's such, such a good scene. But the one for me that I actually really glom towards is the one between him and Carla Jean. And at the end of the film, because she is aware of who he is and what he's doing. <laughs> it's your choice. And she refuses to call the coin and makes him make the decision. And I love the It's Your Choice line. I love that how that sequence is set up. I love her performance. Like, she, to me, uh, Kelly McDonald, just every time I watch No Country for Old Men, it's so much... She's so influential on this story, even though she's not a huge part of it. And I think she's just the backbone of so much of what's happening because you've got these three segments, these three characters with Anton Chigouras, Javier Bardem, you've got Josh Brolin's character, um, and you've got Ed, Chef Ed Tom Bell, played by Tommy Lee Jones, and their stories intersect with each other and they drive everything forward. But she really drives our interaction with the story and and I just I, I love her performance in that scene in particular Woody Harrelson's also back Woody is back <laughs> love yeah. Woody yeah I'm thinking I'm back <laughs> I will say I always kind of forget because I remember Woody Harrelson's in this movie and then I kind of forget how small of a part that it actually is he's only got three scenes at the most two, maybe four at the most you know because there's an introductory scene with Steven Root the one in the hospital with Josh Brolin and the one in the hotel room with Anton Chigurh well, he, he's looking through a fence he's looking through a fence <laughs> there you go yeah um, No Country is on my list it is number three for me um, this movie for me really really helped define what I love about the Coen brothers because for a long time I said I like their wit and their smarts and their and I, I said I love their humor and this film for me it's witty it's smart but it's so silent it is action it is reaction it is consequence it is about exploring this idea about choices and destiny versus fate and yeah if any of Josh it's Brolin real should have saved this guy rather than like give him some water get him some water but that's actually the reason why josh brolin dies is because both times it was back he should goes have, back. Should have, he should have saved him the first time yeah, around. Yeah, absolutely. Like, it is his choices that make it there. Or, like, in weird ways... Or to be a cold-hearted killer. Don't go back. Or, like, in those ways where he gets in the most trouble are when he actually reaches out and does something kind of moralistic. Because he gets in trouble because he goes back with the water and therefore finds the money and makes that choice. He also then dies because he, ref cause he remains loyal to his wife. Like, he, if he chooses to sit at the pool and drink beer with that lady, he's not in this hotel room when the Mexican mafia comes and murders them. So, like, he, it's at least he's got a chance to see what's happening before he dies. Like, it's just this really interesting thing about the choices and the consequences that, that happen with them. And that's why you die in the story of Anne. Yeah. Uh, yeah, no, no country is great. It's beautiful. It's wonderful. It's 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 a film that's so good. It made me think that I like Cormac McCarthy, and I don't. I actually just like No Country for Old Men. Have you read The Road? Um, I've read part of The Road, mm -hmm. and then I it was so bleak and sad, and I was done. I've seen The Road, the movie, which I like, don't love. With Cody. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And then I've seen The Counselor, which is a 
an awful, atrocious film. Cody McPhee? Like Smith Fee? Cody Smith McPhee? Yeah. Mm-hmm. He's like, as a child? Yeah. Good actor. Yeah. As an adult, I'm not sure. Yeah, I don't, don't know what he's got to really do as an adult yet. Well, because in his films where he... I didn't see Alpha. I'll just say oh, that. Oh, I liked him in Alpha. Um, not great, but like oh, I think you'd like Alpha, actually. Dog film? Dog film. <laughs> yeah. Um, He's Nightcrawler mm-hmm. in the newer X-Men, but we d- we're not interested in giving characters to yeah. the new X-Men. Uh, he was in the Haley Steinfeld version of Romeo and Juliet, and he plays... Oh, man, I can't remember. The what? <laughs> Sorry, 2013, there's a Haley Steinfeld version of Romeo and Juliet. Is she Juliet? Yeah. She's not 13. <laughs> well, she's still a teenager, though, at that time. I can't remember who he plays, but I do remember that I enjoyed him in the movie quite a bit. Oh, I'm looking at this poster, and it looks not interesting to me. This movie's fine. Like Benvolio. Oh, he's the most boring of them! <laughs> <laughs> I liked him in it. Yeah. We're not here to talk about Cody Smith Miffy. Well, we might be someday. Let me in. I also like that film. Great. I'm not seeing it. It's the Let the Right One In, but Remake. this one. Yeah. Yeah. Which everyone thinks it's Oz the Butterfield, and I'm always like, you fools. <laughs> it's not. It's not. My number. And he's Norman. He's Paranorma. Norman. He's he is Paranorman indeed. Cody McSmith. Man, we're he... just naming his whole career. Kylie, what did you think of this movie charts book that you started reading when I was talking last time? It's really, like, on the nose, not that good. Yeah, it's no. not as witty as I was hoping. I agree. The only reason why I own it is because it was 75 cents at Hastings. You paid too much. Probably. It's just, like, even the, like, <laughs> the one we're not going to talk about, Fight Club. Yeah, no, it's... And some of them don't make sense. They say that Tom Hanks doesn't make a convincing astronaut. What do you guys mean? Rude. He does. And then they're also throwing shade on, you know, the Dan Brown books, which I'm like, fair, but he's not the issue with those. <laughs> I did like when you were, when you were watching, uh, oh, what's the second one? Angels and Demons. And, and you were like, we got a good shot. We only had six. <laughs> I was like, but Cohen's. And you're like, oh, we don't have a whole film of good shots. We gotta suffer with the six that we have, Josh. It was good. It was a good bit. It was solid. Alright, Joshua. My number five is a serious man. Okay, we'll talk about it later. Deal? Okay, deal. Does that sound fair? That sounds fair. Okay. If it's more than two away, we'll talk about it later. Okay, fair How enough. How does that sound? Yeah, fair enough. I mean, we don't have to talk about No Country when it comes on my list. It's three for me, so we'll just know that. Okay, yes. my number four is Fargo. Cool. I love Fargo. Yeah, it's a great time. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> I mean, not so great for uh, William H. Macy's wife. When it comes to my parents, I think of, like, we... like my mom has seen The Big Lebowski, uh-huh. and, you know, I, I the only other Coen Brothers film I'm like, yeah. You can watch this is Fargo. Uh-huh. Because <laughs> all the rest of... Maybe No Country. Maybe they get yeah. on board for that. But like the rest of these films... Oh, maybe True Grit. My mom... Ooh, what about Finger Scene? What's oh, Finger Scene? Domino Gleeson's uh, fingers? What's wrong with them? They get cut off. Where? Really? 
And then, so the one scene Dom <laughs> Gleason's in. Uh, yeah. They get cut off? Yeah. I don't remember. Like, before he gets stabbed, they chop off his fingers. That seems brutal. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Listen, Fargo, wood chipper. Bear man. Mm. Uh, uh, uh. Why did I not watch this film? True Grit, there's a bear man. Really? He rides oh! up into the bear. Did you watch True Grit? <laughs> yeah, I know. You're, I watched it twice because I got to that scene the first time and I was like, I don't understand anything that's happening. <laughs> I got to restart this. Because, like, I turned away for a second then I turned back and Matt Damon was gone. Okay. And so I thought he was dead. <laughs> well, maybe. Can I tell you my uh, True Grit hot take? Josh Brolin, not good in that movie. It's a weird performance. Yeah. It might be one of the few Cohen performances where I was like, this doesn't work. What? Not Tom Hanks? Uh, that also doesn't work. <laughs> I said one of the few. <laughs> like, they ain't perfect, but like, that might be the worst, like, Cohen performance in a, like, worst performance in a good movie from theirs. Sorry. Um, Fargo. Yeah. I called this a, I called this the best of both worlds last time I said that this was a pos I said that it was like a critic darling but also it's a bit of a populist film I yeah. don't think there's any issue with being either of those things or being a mix of them Agreed. Um, I think that it does a good job I think it does a good job of telegraphing what is happening and I in my review, I said, I feel like this might be one of their most satisfying endings of a film. Because we talked about how their films just end. Yep. <laughs> and we're, they're not always the most satisfying. Not yep. in a bad way, but... Oh, there's a tornado. Well, Credits. I understand. Yeah. Uh, I get it. It's perfect. That's yeah. how it is. But with Fargo, I just think that it ends in a way that that you're just like yes this is how of course mm -hmm. like the bad the bad guys have suffered like mm -hmm. in all sense all of the people who are involved in all of this have suffered um and our hero wins the day but what we like about our hero so much not because she saved the cat but because her triumph is not like riding out into the sun it's yeah. going home and being like oh don't you know when the stamp price is raised <laughs> <laughs> oh, my favorite scene. We need the, uh, the little stamps. She Here. just loves her husband so much. Yeah. I I love that about Fargo, and that Fargo exists in their canon of maybe one of the few films with the quote-unquote happy ending, which I think allows it to be, like you said, populous as well as critically acclaimed. Um, and with that, um, I, I think that so much of that is with the margin-norm relationship. Um, and how one of the things that they do in the film is they don't use a lot of two shots. Two shots are where there's two people in the frame at the same time, except for with Marge and Norm. Uh, and that, that's how in less than 10 minutes that relationship can be seen as one of the very few stable things in that movie. And one of the like, oh, I love you guys. And they do that specifically with the, their visual language. Um, the performances of Peter Stormare and Steve Buscemi and William H. Macy as these just three despicable characters are, are, are great. I, I just, I can't talk enough about this movie. It's, it's great. It doesn't make my top... Peter, uh, um, Peter Stormare is doing something weird, which I know, like, that's that's off for Peter Stormare. Right. He has been an actor yeah. who has only made normal choices. Quack, 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 quack. <laughs> <laughs> what 
Why is Peter Stormer clapping <laughs> at us right now? Uh, put it on the Minota report. We'll just mark it down. <laughs> Do you think it was from a different film and they just cut it into Minority yeah, Report? Exactly, yeah. Like he was on the set of Bad Boys and they were like, this won't work. Steven, do you want this? And he was like, yes. <laughs> Excellent. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Great. I'm glad that we, I'm glad that we put that together. Um, Fargo doesn't make my top five only for the sole purpose of, I don't think that I have as personal of a connection to the film and it's good. I enjoy mm-hmm. watching it. I like, I like Marge. I think she's a great character, but at the end of the day, if I'm gonna, if you set down like the Cohen's filmography in front of me, Fargo is not going to be the one that I pick. Well, we're gonna watch it. If I'm there, I, we're gonna watch Fargo. Okay. That's just, that's not not one. whatever your number one is. <laughs> Josh, that one is not one for like hanging out with homies and watching. Yes, it is. Fargo and the Big Lebowski and maybe Burn After Reading, like your friend Raising Arizona. Barton. <laughs> Yeah, just chill out with your friends and watch Bart Fink. Yeah. I don't think I can. I also think Oh Brother is a good party film. Even though you don't love it. I won't be at your party. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, well, fair enough. Fair enough. Maybe Hail Caesar. Oh, that's okay. Uh Oh, Lewin Davis. Lots of music. Josh, I did not understand Lewin Davis the first time I watched it. What about the second time? So, like, I put Lewin Davis off for a while. Uh Because I was like, I have to pay attention. (laughs) I have to understand what's happening. Yes, fair. That's, like, how this actually went. I want you to... You asked me if I watched these in a particular order, and my answer was no. But Uh there was a secret order. Okay. There was one film I knew that I didn't want to pay attention to. So I left that off. Buster. <laughs> and there was one film I knew that I had seen the most times, and if I didn't pay attention to it, I would still know exactly where it would go. Fargo. Yep. And uh, The Big Lebowski just, just filled it forever. <laughs> yeah. But, like, I, I mean, like, I wanted to really watch a serious man and pay attention. Hail Caesar I wanted to pay attention to when I rewatched. I was in a lot of pain reading, watching Burn After Reading. You were. All right. Um, my number four, I think, is also no. I'm going to talk about Marge real quick. Oh, sorry, I yeah. missed the point. Yeah, because here's another thing about Marge that we often don't get. So the Coen Brothers don't have a ton of female leads. They have a few. Maybe Burn After Reading, True Grit, Marge, Marge. Yeah, that's about it. <laughs> Marge the movie. I do also think that they have pretty good female supporting characters. I think that they have good female supporting characters. I, I will say that you mentioned like in Miller's Crossing there's a girl on the fridge. There is... Not Miller's Crossing. In Miller's Crossing? I said Barton Sorry, Fink. Barton Fink. There's a girl on the fridge. Uh-huh. Um, and then there are some other times where like, yeah, she, there are some characters that are just a wife, so to speak. But... Like Tilda Swinton sometimes and like... Yeah. I would even say that in our beloved A Serious Man, his wife is kind of just a wife. Yeah. But like, that's for a purpose. So is his daughter. Yes. The daughter's just a daughter. But anyway, I agree with your overall. I think we're pointing out exceptions Uh rather than the rule of their film. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, And I I think that something that we don't explore very often is uh, a pregnant woman Mm -hmm. being the lead of a film. And the film is not about her pregnancy. She is just a character who is pregnant, which I think is a great thing to also represent. And, like, she does have her moments of, like, oh, yeah, I'm carrying. And then, like, she continues to do her job, which I think, like... 
I think that it's just good to have moments of things like that and not just show, like, oh, now that the woman's pregnant, she's done, like, with her other stuff. Like, yeah. she's still got business to do. She does. She makes it work. And that I, is... like, I like the scene where she is dealing with her morning sickness, like, off the side of the car, and then just has to go to work, yeah. you know? Yeah. Well, I like when she's at the crime scene, she's like, oh, I might just throw up. Yes. And you're just like, you're like, no, this is a crime scene. You're not allowed. <laughs> then they'll have to investigate that. Josh. Um, it's an interesting connection, too, because you've also got, there's this weird kind of early fascination with them and being like, what if, what if a lady police officer had a child? <laughs> and I'm like, okay, yeah, what if, guys? Like, why is this such a fascination for you? Because they do it with- Because they've never seen it before! Because <laughs> they do it with Holly Hunter, and then they do it with Frances McDormand, who were, by the way- College roommates. Oh, yeah. is that why? Is that why Holly is in Blood Simple? Uh, yes, they wanted to give her the role first of mm -hmm. Abby, but she turned it down because she didn't have that much time commitment, and she said, "You should let my roommate Francis do it." Oh my gosh! And like Holly Hunter's like the godmother of all of yeah, their absolutely. children, right? Yes, yeah. Like she was the one that put them together. Yeah, yeah, because they fell in love on the set of Blood Simple. Oh, they Holly, being Holly, and Joel Holly Hunter. Yeah. <laughs> Do not mess with Holly and Hunter. So that's why for um, Ed in Raising Arizona, they specifically wrote that role for her. Aww. Yeah. Oh. yeah. Oh. Are they still? I hope they're still friends. Yeah, I think they're still friends. Yeah, because she's in Oh Brother. I think that's the last one that she's in for them. Mm -hmm. But um, I'm sure you know. They kind of start losing some of their their guys. Yeah, at some point on. they they try to cast other people. They have a new generation of Cohen actors, which I don't I don't know if they work as well, but they're 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 fun too. There's nothing's gonna beat their like run of original Cohen cast. The actors. brat pack. Yeah, the the Cohen pack. <laughs> yeah. Um, my number four I think is also on your list, so we can talk about it when it's higher on your spot. And it's Inside Lewin Davis. It's number three, so let's go for it. Okay, great. Um, Lewin Davis is a film about a man. Traveled. A man and not his cat. <laughs> Just trying so hard to survive in this world. I had a friend like Lewin Davis in college. It was not you. No, I know. <laughs> you did not stay on my couch for three weeks. No, I know. I offered it to him longer. It yeah. was reassuring to know that I might not get murdered at night in oh. my apartment alone. <laughs> You would be murdered alone. You might be murdered, but somebody else would be there. Yeah, it's friendship yeah. stuff. Yeah. Um, just like the person who's just bumming around trying to make life work and like everywhere he turns. This feels like such like an honest film yeah. that doesn't glorify this idea of like suffering for your art. Like as we watch it, we're not like... That's the life I wish I had. It's not into the wild by any means. What? What's up? You 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 want this life? Okay. Josh, you missed the whole point. So no, <laughs> I I don't want this life. I will say that out loud. But I will say. You want this cat? I want the cat. No, there's a part of me that when I watch Inside Lewin Davis, that wishes that. Inside, 
Lewin Davis is about a, a, a guy who's struggling in his art and he's in a and he's in the big city and he's just trying to make it work and he's desperately going from couch to couch to bar to bar to place to place and like he's making all these poor choices. Mm-hmm. And I'm not saying that like I want to be Lewin Davis, but that idealized kind of world of an artist just living out in his world. I think you said it's very honest. It's it's truthful about what it means to be an artist and struggling. Like, there is some part of me in some version of my life that would that wishes I had the tenacity to do that as an artist. And rather than I love my job, I love what I do, and I, I think I'm in the right position. But like to be able to just go chase the art in that way, there's something that's there's some little part of me that was like that could have been me not that i want it to be me but that it could have been me in a different world so that's why my face of like yeah we don't all but yeah sorry yeah um and this man who's just struggling with like i like i really like the film of him essentially like the the final shot not the final shot like, the final scene of him singing in front of this bar, and, like, he's just so fed up with folk music. Yeah. And he's just, like, he doesn't directly say it, but you can see that he's kind of, like, this is a dead music form, this is a dead art, like, why am I continuing to pursue this? Because the hit by Justin Timberlake, Justin Timberlake mm-hmm. and Adam Driver has uh-huh. become a hit, so, like, folk music... And it's purity is dead because yeah. now it's just like commercialism. Yeah. And as he's walking out, it's good old Bobby D. You get Bob Dylan, who I didn't realize was Bob Dylan the first time. Oh, okay. The second, well, I didn't know Bob Dylan music. The second time, I was like, I was like, I've heard that song. That is a real <laughs> person's song. Yeah. And I looked it up, and I was like, oh, I was like, oh, Bob Dylan, <laughs> B-O-B, D-Y-L-A, and Bob Dylan. Bobby D. Yeah, and then it, it confirmed on other things that it was young Bob Dylan to show like. Even though, even though Lewin Davis might think that the commercialism has taken over, and to some extent it does, even with Bob Dylan, like, the genre is still strong, even after him. Lewin feels like that those characters, those people that they would make documentaries of, like, decades later. Anvil, the story of Anvil. (laughs) Yes. Or, like... (laughs) Searching for Sugar Man, or like where you're like, oh, this guy that just never made it, but his music's great. Like that's that's who I feel Lewin is. Um, I love Lewin Davis. It is a film that instantly kind of hooked, like hooked me, and like I knew that I wanted to live and watch in this world. And like I've listened to the soundtrack on repeat. And I, I what I like about the movie is is that Lewin is awful. He's a terrible human, and he is fully aware of this. And he's not willing to change it because that's his art in his way, shape, or form. But what is really engaging about this movie is, is that it is an examination of what that means and who that is and how that the world is just going to pass that person by. Mm -hmm. It's not forgiving Lewin for any of his actions. It's saying that you're either going to change and adapt or you're going to be lost to time. Your biggest moment will be the night you got punched in an alley when Bob Dylan performed, you know? And, like, to to ask the question of, like, oh, do you think Lewin ever makes it after folk gets big? No. No. No, I think he's done, you know? And so I just... 
I, he loses his passion. He does, he, which is so sad. Because he's up there and he's just like cracking jokes like, hey, you guys never heard this one. <laughs> but really the thing for me that gets me hooked on Lewin Davis is his arc for his love for his partner. Um, his partner, Mike, who passes away um, because he jumps off a bridge. Uh, you throw yourself off the Brooklyn Bridge, traditionally. Solid solid John Goodman performance in this movie. I'll, you play two strings on a ukulele. Oh, I love it. I love so much John Goodman in this movie. Every Everything. Um, I love all the performances. But, so his relationship to his partner, and I think, I think it's kind of vague to me as to what his relationship with his partner was. If it was more than just being a musician partner or if there was more than just a friendship or if there was something even romantic there I think that what's interesting is the film doesn't necessarily ask that question what it does tell you is that Lewin has made a series of terrible choices in his mourning and his remorse and so this film actually ends up being about Lewin trying to come to terms with the fact that the one person who put up with him the one person who loved him for him killed himself and it's dead. And that's what this film becomes about. And that's what I love about Lewin Davis is it's all about pain. It's all about m- mourning and loss. And and then his performance at the end where he finally does come sing fairly well is like I, I cry almost every single time watching that. Because, goodbye art. Yeah, he's saying goodbye to art and he's saying goodbye to his friend. friend. And he's saying goodbye to everything that he knew and loved. And that's something that it's a, that's a choice that like I would never have to want to make. He's and a cat. Yeah, like he's he's the cat. Is he the cat? Who knows? He is, right? Um, the story of the cat is the story of him, right? Yes. That's telegraphed, right? Yeah, because it's... I understood that part, right? Because yeah. like first he's like he like breaks out of the home. He's leaving. He's leaving the Gorfines. He's <laughs> <laughs> going away from security. He, yeah, he's leaving. Because, like, the Gorefines, who appear in this film twice in, like, person form. Three, maybe? Two, whatever. Doesn't matter. Yes. Regardless. Yes. Um, where the first time he, like, freaks out at them, the first time we see them, because yeah. it's at the dinner party, and then, like, the apology. I don't know if there's another time. But, like, he's leaving that security, and then he's going out into the real world, and then he gets lost. Yeah. And then he's changed as a person, because it's a different cat. Uh-huh. And then... Again, the core finds <laughs> kicking out. Um, so and then, then the next time we see the cat is in the dream. It's when he's really tired and sleepy. He's, and he kills it. And he kills it? He or hits it with a car. He hits it with a car, which basically is him needing to kill his old self. Him needing to come to terms with that. And, like, you're watching... As he's, as he's driving, there's, like, this big city that he could turn off into. Yeah. But he continues to just go straight ahead. Well, it's... The city is Akron. Mm-hmm. It's it's where his um, girlfriend with his his son, child is yeah but then he, he could choose to go live that life but then he's chosen he's chosen again to just kind of keep being terrible at yeah. things and then he kills the cat and then at the end when when he's forgiven and we find the actual we find Ulysses Lewin, Ulysses his name is Ulysses mm-hmm. um, his name is Ulysses his name is Ulysses 
uh, then he, it's like him finding home again, mm-hmm. him finding his way back. And again, I think that it mirrors loss, it mirrors mourning. And that to me is what I think that the exploration of death is what they're exploring in this film. And I think that this is Oscar Isaac's most raw performance yeah. in any of his films. It's my favorite Oscar Isaac performance. And I, I, I am saddened that, you know, kind of, he's, since getting into Star Wars, he's not done as much art things or things that are challenging him. He's kind of been more of the post stuff. He was in... Annihilation. Uh huh. His role's he, not very big in it. He's also in. Um. Oh man, I'm blanking on the Willem Dafoe as Van Gogh movie. Oh, he plays the art critic in Eternity, or not the the art buyer. And he's like he's, he's the art guy. He's in he's Eternity another painter. Game. He's uh, he's um. Mm-hmm. What's his name? Man, I don't. But he's another painter, who he meets. He's like a French painter. Paul Gauguin. Gauguin. It's Gauguin. I think he's doing some independent work within the Star Wars stuff. I just don't think that it's landing as successfully. Which I'm hoping that, because he's going to be in Dune, which it doesn't look like he's going to be the lead. He looks like he's more of a side character. He's with Denis Vanille, and I'm hoping that after Star Wars, he kind of gets back into form, because I really do like him in his other lower things. Not lower, as in, like, less subpar, but, like, less populous. Because I really... I don't know that a lot of people did, but I really liked the most violent year, and I, I really liked the most violent year too. I really liked Ex Machina. Yep, I will stick up for him as Poe. It's not a difficult character, no. and it's not like anything that's challenging. Him, I think, but I like him in that role. I do. I think he's great as well. But I just I want to see him. I want the finesse. Yeah, I want the whole. Yeah, absolutely. The whole meal. Uh, another movie that wasn't like the best movie in the world that I liked him in was The Promise. I think is what that's called. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Suburbicon. Suburbicon. And of course, uh, uh, X Men Apocalypse. Oh, you forgot uh, Life Itself. The only reason me and Sylvana went and saw that. <laughs> yep, Life Itself. He's also got a he's got a upcoming role in in, in Into the Spider Verse. Two. Second one? Well, if it exists, yes. Which I'm sure it will. He's in the tag scene. I for, know. Yeah. So if that exists, he'll be in it. Okay. Yeah. I was like, did that get announced? Um. I didn't think it made enough money. Uh, so that was your three. My three is No Country, which we've already talked about, so you're two. Right? Oh, Carrie Mulligan's also great. Oh, yeah. Carrie <laughs> Mulligan is wonderful. Um, like, she, I love her vitriol anger, it's just, but then I also love, um... But it's also justified anger. Yes, it is. Although, okay, justified anger, but, like... Also, she is to blame for things, yes, too. The only time where I'm kind of on Lewin's side, where you're like, well, it takes two to tango. <laughs> like, he didn't make... You also sh- cheated on <laughs> Justin Timberlake. Yeah. Why would you cheat on Justin Timberlake? Why would you do that? I don't know. I don't love Justin. I, I love Justin. I like I like him exactly as a fish. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I am Mr. Fish. <laughs> I love Justin. Justin's good in the small part that he has here. Adam Driver, speaking of like people who are lost in a Star Wars universe right now, but like still doing good things, mm-hmm. Adam Driver is great. I love his small role here. I think that Adam is balancing very well with doing Adam I agree with you Adam is someone who sometimes they have a smaller part for somebody the Coens have a smaller part and then 
do a feature part later, I would love for Adam Driver to be the lead of a Cohen film. I think he would fit that mold super well. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. Um, my number, my number two. I think so because your three is Lewin. Lewin. Can I remember two is a double one? You didn't. You didn't pronounce that word. What I heard you say is intolerable cruelty, and I know that's not right. <laughs> yeah. So I just love these terrible people. You're like, it's not a movie, but it's an experience. I'm just so glad that people who share my views of marriage are just always the worst kind of people. Yeah. Yeah. Like I just. <laughs> I'm just so happy about you gotta it. Gotta love that great Jeffrey Rush performance. He's in this. In Intolerable Cruelty. Is he the old? Is he the guy he's that the gets weird stabbed? Weird producer guy at the beginning. Yes, and then he's a homeless man in the middle, and then he's like the producer at the end again. So he's the guy singing to Simon and Garfunkel. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yep, Jeffrey Rush. Here he is. Okay, so my number two is a Big Lebowski. Big Lebowski. Bow, 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 bow. I am equally surprised and not surprised that it's your number two. <laughs> Where should it be? I, for a long time, I was like, it's one. But then I was like, oh, no, I know what one is. But then, like, two, just, well, two's good. Yeah. I need, I don't need to speak up for the other you one. You don't need to be embarrassed by this. Most people would agree with you that this is their best film or one of their best films. Like, it is It is only I who has issues with the, the Lebowski. He's there for all the sinners. He's Jesus. But he's not the Jesus. He's not the Jesus. God, I... That I understand, scene. I understand, Josh. I love that scene so much, but it's so hard to watch now. Yeah. But I love that scene. It's so good. But, like, ugh. It's also creepy. That last joke, if it just weren't wasn't there. Yeah, just chop that out. Yeah. Very, very 80s. Very 90s. Yes. Very 90s of a joke. Um, I think it is surprising to me that all of this works considering mm, you tell me that the pieces of this puzzle are mm, Jeff Bridges being so in tuned to a character <laughs> who's so in tune to the universe. Yeah, yeah. You got John Goodman screaming. Oh, I love John Goodman <laughs> as Walter. You have Julianne Moore shockingly doing something weird. What? Shocking. Yeah. I know. Especially in her beginning times. Oh, man. Well, she's clearly doing a Catherine Hepburn impersonation here. Like, that's what she's doing. Um, although, it's like if Catherine Hepburn was in porn. <laughs> Boogie Nights? <laughs> Are you talking about Boogie, Boogie Nights? Nights? What? Oh, sorry. Yeah. Uh, yeah, why is she always going to <laughs> porn? What, what, what the heck, guys? Think about it. He's so mean. John Goodman and Walter are so mean to him. But he loves him so. He cares for him. <laughs> these men are nihilists, Johnny. You don't have to worry about that. <laughs> you just shut up, Doc. I'm like, John Goodman is like, has been about not being able to play on Saturday. He's like, I'm not even supposed to answer the phone now. Oh, we don't roll on Shabbos. <laughs> I'm like, no matter what happens, like, Jeff Bridges never gets above a five. He's never that worried about things. Like, his most thing is like, dude, that girl 
might be actually dead. I'm glad to see someone here who cares about dead women. Because John Goodman doesn't. Oh, the scene where they they lay Donnie's ashes is like so great. You're such a jerk, Walter. It's over the line. Solitaire. He just pulls a piece. He's just a dude that's got a piece. And he's just going to pull it because you're over the line in league play. Like, <laughs> Market zero. Market zero. Uh, this is what I love about Lebowski now. is like I've come around to where I have people and friends that I can make these references with. And it's not a group of people or friends that I feel alienated from. And that I feel is a culture that I don't want to, um, b- that I don't want to put up on a pedestal or anything. And I also don't think that the film itself puts the dude or anybody on a pedestal. I think it actually just presents these characters as they are. Um, and that's what I love. This movie's funny. It's just funny and it's it's also has a lot to say it uses repetition really well it uses it's the the mystery of that they're trying to solve to like kind of figure it out i love sam elliott in this movie (laughs) as the stranger like it's just uh i there's nothing about this movie that i don't love at this moment it's it's just a lot of fun and i didn't want it to be a lot of fun for many many years but it it won me over it is this is the case in point of I think that every single Coen Brothers film is better upon rewatch because you can understand what's happening a little more every single time. And it took three times, but on that third time, I got there. Listen I love this you movie. Heart yep. Yeah, yeah, I gotta. Yeah. When he's it just it felt you. it felt bad for me to be like the Coens are my favorite film, but then I also want to bag on the Big Lebowski because like I don't want to bag on that movie. It's a good movie. It's not my favorite movie by any means. I think there is. The reason it's going to be four and a half for me forever is because, like, I'm just, there's always going to be something that gnaws at me, but it's fine. Like, I love that movie. We'll get there someday. We'll get there someday. We'll get there when we get there! Just like Bunny Lebowski. <laughs> Philip Seymour Hoffman's great! Oh, man! It's good Philip Seymour Hoffman. Just everything! Yeah. Everything! Well, that's just, like, your opinion, <laughs> man! <laughs> what is this? Clearly you're not a golfer. <laughs> <laughs> is uh, is Barton Fink, and I, I I feel that like Barton Fink for me is Lebowski for most other people, <laughs> and I'm trying to try to put that into context uh-huh, because you think it's really funny. And <laughs> dude, I think this movie's hilarious. <laughs> um, I think that this movie is whip smart. I think this movie also loves interrogating every single character that's there. I also think this movie loves being like, oh, you think I'm one thing? Here's a dead person. Here's what I really am. And what I really am, you'll have no idea what it is. And I'm going to have this really ambiguous ending that you can figure out what it is yourself. Also, there's maybe some heaven and hell metaphors, but we're not going to be, like, totally on the wall about them. Like, we're going to be here living in our world. And, like, maybe, like, Charlie is a good dude. And maybe he wouldn't become Madman Munts if Barton would just pay attention to him. Or maybe he was always meant to be this way. Or maybe Barton actually isn't that good of a writer. Maybe he's just got one story to tell in this whole world. 
Or maybe he's the greatest writer in the world and this this thing, this incident has stunted him. Or maybe Hollywood has stunted him and that's the whole problem. Or all of these questions and answers and we just live in this world where Barton Fink is this kind of hapless schlub who just... He's dead and in hell, I've told you already. <laughs> but, like, that's not guaranteed. He's in the Hotel California. <laughs> he is in the Hotel California with Steve Buscemi, this Chet. I love Chet. I see the, um, he's the concierge. concierge. You had your hand up. What was your hand up for? So I'm just telling you what okay. I was telling you what's what. I figured this film out. No worries, everyone. I got but that's it. the thing is I don't think that there is a way to figure this film out. I think this film is a head trip because we hold okay. to the Cohen's heads. What is this about? Market eight! Market zero! They're like zero, zero, Jesus, zero. Um But I don't think they know. <laughs> So this film comes out of... How do we fit in this film? I don't know. I don't know. I'm fired. Set everything on fire, brother. <laughs> so this film comes out of their struggle for writing Miller's Crossing. It is... They they are trying really? to write this Miller's is, Crossing. This is a... This is an autobiography? Yes! In a lot of ways. So they're writing Miller's Crossing and they Which can't Which they think quite... is the best movie ever, but people didn't get it. And they can't ah! quite crack the nut of the film. So they have to take a break and they write Barton Fink in the middle of it and then come back to it. So basically they wrote all of their writer's block onto a page with a script about somebody suffering with writer's block. And it... it I don't know. I just... This is one of those like movies about movies, which is a genre that I love, but it is so much more and it's just, I love a movie with not only solid performances, not only it's beautifully shot, but it's just, there's, there's layers and you're never going to get to the bottom of these layers. Every time you watch this movie, you're going to get something new out of it. Every single time that you try to solve what's happening, there's another layer that pops up because it's like, no, that's not exactly what's happening here. This is what's happening, but you can't know that for sure. You've got this layers of the Hollywood system. You've got the writer um, played by the dad from Frasier. You've got the missing, the, the sorry, the dead girl. You've got what is Mad Mad Months. You've got the fire hallway fire scene which is one of my favorite scenes in all the film where John Goodman in what John Goodman gives several amazing performances in Coen Brothers movies and this one just might top them all for me I just I love it I love everything his name's to... John Mahoney it is John Mahoney yeah there you go people named John in Coen Brothers movies apparently they're just great yeah there you go. Alright, everyone. That's my TED Talk on Barton Fink. <laughs> um, you have Barton Lower on your list. I'm sorry. That's okay. What did you what, what are your what did you think of Barton? I get it. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, I figured it out. Nothing no more layers, I'm you, done. You know how people are like manic pixie dream girl? I'm okay. like manic pixie film. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Great. Where I know that if I look too much, it's just going to ruin my life. <laughs> and I'm like, please ruin my life. <laughs> Come here. Ruin it more. I think that this film, for me, I think that we, we have very, the way you feel about Annihilation, the way I feel about this. That's fair. Where it's, it, there's so, there's so much happening. 
<laughs> I've only watched this one, but there's once, but there's so much happening that like I was watching it and I was like, what is what is what? Yeah. Like the wall, the walls are bleeding, and he stays there. I everything that happens to Barton Fink is of his own doing. I you're feel not no. Wrong. I feel no sympathy. You're not wrong. Yeah, you let this man into your room and you do not stop talking. Eventually, he befriends him, nonetheless. Yeah, don't make friends with the devil. That's fair. I was not even two when he was on fire, and I was already like, do not trust this John Goodman. Aw, but he's just a friendly insurance salesman. Uh Uh-huh. He's signing over your soul. Yeah. It's all good. It's all good. (laughs) He's the devil, right? I mean, maybe. Maybe. Maybe Maybe is that answer. Okay. He's also, he might just be crazy and set the hotel on fire. The greasy strangler. He could be that too. Mm-hmm. Maybe he's none of it. He, like, bends the bars of the bed. It's pretty impressive. Yeah. Strong man. I was like, devil powers. World's strongest man competition? The, the, Keanu was there advocating for him. Uh, yes. I'm excited to talk about your number one. Our number one is a serious man. A serious man. Josh, why do you like Abel so much? I love Abe. No, know. Abe Simon. His name's not Abel. Cy Abelman. Yep, yeah, that's his name. Yes. Josh, I why? Because I just feel like Cy Abelman is gonna tell me all my problems in the world, and then and then he's gonna convince me how to fix them. Cy Abelman's also doing that because you're in his way of something he wants. Yes, true story. You're not wrong. Cy Abelman is a monster. <laughs> um, but man, so so you are also okay with being seduced by the devil? I love that monster so much. He just like, yes, Cy. What what do you need me to do, Cy? Oh, maybe it's just Fred Melman's performance. Maybe it's just the way it's written. Maybe it's everything. But I'm like, yeah, you should go stay at the Jolly Roger. I guess that's what you should do. Yes, of course, let him take your wife. Yes, go for it. He's just, he's Cy Abelman. I love him. And then he's missing from half of this movie. He's not in very much of this movie. He's really not. Like, the fact that Cy Abelman is, like, the thing that I go to with this movie. I don't know. It's just there's something unique about that performance and something that's really, like, uh, I love it. To be fair. We need to get. I have. We need to get. <laughs> gotta get a get. That's why they want to get. Oh, Larry. Look at the parking lot. Just look at the parking lot, Larry. Oh, that's, su- that's, that's such a beautiful moment. It really is. Uh... <sighs> In fairness, a serious man should probably be higher on my list. It You're is, right. It, it should be your number one. It probably should be. Letterbox. You know how they have like a tagline on Letterbox. Uh huh. There's this. Seriously. <laughs> I hate you, Letterbox, so much. Um, a serious man probably should be much higher. It's the only film that I watched twice for this this thing. Um, I just I can't get enough of this movie. I, the other that's films, three too little times. I know, fair. Um, I, the only thing, the reason why it's not above the other four films is because each one of those films, I think I have a more personal connection to. But I, I also have a very personal connection to this film at this moment. I just, I love a serious man, and I'm, I'm it, it will eventually creep up my list higher. But it is, um, it's yeah. Go, you talk about it. It's your number one. Well, you know, there's the scene. <laughs> <laughs> Opening scene. We're in a shuttle. No, I gotta get. I want the quote, and okay. the quote is in my. It's in. It's my review. Okay, you come on, Matt. You liked it. You liked my quote. Come on, Matt. Hell, there you are. There you are. <laughs> well, I mean, I think that 
uh, this film is about the Coen brothers' thoughts on religion, which I think that there, this quote that they have right here really, really telegraphs it, where he's talking about, he's talking to a student who wants him to change his grade, even though the student's not, is failing. I, it, it's just about the Schrodinger's cat thing, and the kid's like, I understand these stories that you tell me, I don't understand the math. That's the only part I'm literally missing. And like, Michael Stuhlberg's like, no, like, like those, those things, those writing and fables and those stories that we teach you, they aren't what's important. It's the real world. It's the math. It's yeah. the actual science that is important in all of this. And so like, it's, it's talking about religion in a way of like, there are these stories. However, you need more than just the stories to be successful yeah. in a life of some sort. Where like, I think that in the best ways that they're saying like, if you have your religion, what you need to do is you not you need to not be so beholden to those words, but think about how you actually apply them to the real world. Yeah. How do we apply Schrodinger's cat to the real world? Well, it's with the math. It's with the actual real life application. Yeah, and that's. It's just, I when I watched it this time, I was like, oh, that's the quote that you're explaining to me what happened. Is Spielberg the one that also explains what happens Usually, in a, in a yes. line? Like, there's just a yeah. line where it's like, well, you know, we had to grow up. <laughs> um, but, like, also with this film, it's just like, it is the story of Job in some ways, but it's a m modern, in quotation, because it's during the 70s, but it's right. a modern telling of Job where, 60s. like, 60s where these men are where this family is just being put through through the task and like this guy is like literally just like about to give up on everything and maybe but is it is it the family that's being put to the task or is it just him i i think that maybe the son is in some ways yeah as well. okay i give you that yeah. because like he's going to get, getting ready for his bat mitzvah as well mm -hmm. yeah which is like the film also has something to say with like within the Jewish community because a bar mitzvah is when you're considered a man but then like he's then immediately after the bar mitzvah still treated like a child like the rabbi's yeah. words of advice to him the big old important rabbi who this whole time Michael Stuhlberg just wants to see but will never see him he's yeah. just like be a good boy he's saying still be a good child yeah. and so like it's still like oh we hold this whole rigmarole of it but then like you know you're still a kid you're only well, but that's what I love about this film in general is that it is it's an exploration on religion and how we interact with it mm -hmm. and how we place importance upon it. When do we need to place importance upon it? Like this film questions the idea of beliefs and questions the ideas of what this actually means. Because when he talks to all three of these priests, none of them are very helpful. All of them basically just say, ah, believe in the faith. This is what God gives you. And Larry can... The teeth. The yeah. goy in the teeth. The goy in the teeth. Like, and Larry is like, no, these are not helpful stories to me right now. These are not helpful fables. I need you to help me. I'm in a time of need. And he's being tested by his God over and over and over and over again and he keeps passing it with these moral flying colors and like he's going through and he's trying to do all these things and like the the weight of the world is being put on his shoulder and the one time that he breaks when he decides to take the bribe money to help his brother's medical or to, uh, legal fees sorry um is the one time that he gets that phone call 
and says, I have bad news for you. And then there's a tornado coming for your son. And like the, it, this is where. Well, and also I think the brother gets tested because the brother, yes. who, whose story we don't actually follow. The brother himself though, we like the legal troubles and like the gambling stuff and like oh, the weird notebook that he has. Yes. Like, <laughs> yes. I think that the brother is also being tested. The wife and the daughter, we actually don't get to spend very much time with. But, like, the son, he's dealing with the bully. And so, like, yeah. in his way, he's going, like, he's being tested. And I wonder if this is where and how that opening scene comes in. It's because if you can make you can make a correlation between that family and the Gopnik family, especially the men of the Gopnik family. Um, and you can probably Not say... taking action? Well, or... I was going to say that, like, because there's a curse that is set upon that family. Mm-hmm. And that this, you could theoretically say that like that fable of this family is like they're cursed this family is cursed and like Larry has a chance to break the curse he just has to survive all these trials and he does until the very end but then when he's not then everybody's punished you know I think that that could be a reading on this film as well I'm not sure if it's the best reading but I think that it could be there as well um I just there's so much that happens in this movie that you watching it over and over and over again on repeat you just you get more out of it every single time um there's that his neighbors who are next to him uh-huh. who are the all the classic all-american family where they're yeah. out in the lawn playing playing ball and like the he's bothered by the lawnmower like mowing too much of his lawn it's because it's taking a little bit from him mm-hmm. and it's not not even that he's doing a nice thing he's like no this is my this is my property now I've been mowing it I, it's mine like he knows little by little it's just gonna be taken away from him and, and that his world is shrinking and every time I that, that neighbor every time grows more and more terrifying to yeah. me like this time I caught it I, it happens every time but like when the father of the student comes to his door and he's li- and like yep. the neighbor's like, is this man bothering you? I was like, whoa, yeah. whoa, 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 yeah, bad vibes. Yeah, and Larry's like, no, go he's away. Like, he's like, no, no, everything's <laughs> fine. We're best friends. <laughs> Stuhlberg is amazing in this movie. This is the performance that made me like notice like who who is a Stuhlberg fellow, and I have, ever since then just fell in fall in love with Michael Stuhlberg here. He just plays this bumbling guy, not bumbling is the right word, but this guy who's just trying to make it through his life, and he's just, the, for me, my favorite scene of his in the whole movie is the Columbia Records scene, where he finally talks to the guy on the Columbia Records phone, and he's trying to, like, tell him that he doesn't want Santana Abraxas, and he doesn't want this thing, and he's, by doing nothing, is, is, like he didn't do anything and the guy's like yeah but that's doing something and like that's wrapping yeah, up this you didn't, whole yeah you didn't cancel it yeah you didn't you didn't take an active role in your life you don't own the gas station and exactly it's this whole thing was like you're not taking this active role in your life and he's saying this whole time through this whole film he's asking what's going on here I didn't do anything I'm not doing what's going on doesn't matter he's that you didn't do not anything not an active participant and it doesn't matter you're still <laughs> gonna get Santana Abraxas because you didn't do anything thing you know and it's it's him oh, i just i love what that scene represents and who it i is. was and just in a terrible car accident <laughs> and they're like are you okay and he's like yeah i'm fine will you still owe us money <laughs> uh, i i could talk about a serious man all day long it's just a great movie yeah it it is one that every the more I watch it, the more I love it. And like I said, it probably should be higher on my list. I just, my emotions 
are in the way at this moment. But, like, much with Spielberg, where I'm like, yeah, there's, like, seven or eight masterpieces that are all, like, the same kind of level of amazing movie that I love. This is true about the Coen brothers, too. Well, there's also Amy Landecker's character, who, like, she's the neighbor. Okay. Who, like, when you look at that character, you would just think that she's supposed to be, like, this object, but then when he goes and actually visits her, uh-huh. like, and she's just talking to him, I'm also like, yeah, this character's not terrible. Yeah. But she is, she's in a way that she is his temptation, but she's not done in a poor way Agreed. that a lot of other filmmakers would have handled. Yeah. Um, it is interesting, too, that this is a movie that doesn't have any of their regular players in it. They, and they cast, I think, I, I don't want to say this 100%, 100% for certain, but I'm pretty sure they cast all Jewish actors to be in this movie. I think that's what they did. But the only reason I bring it up is because I think they do have this stock cast of characters you kind of get used to seeing, and there's none of them that really appear in here. And that might actually end up being a helpful thing because there's not a lot of recognizable faces in this cast. Uh, Simon Helberg? I mean, there is Simon <laughs> Helberg, but like... Yeah, that's... Simon Helberg is literally probably the most famous person in this movie. He's um, the richest person in this movie. It's <laughs> a true story. Richard oh. Kind. Richard yes, Kine Richard Kind. yes. The, also recognizable. He is. I'm not saying that there's... Uh, yeah. Stuhlberg, I think that the, all three of those people mm-hmm. are probably the same level of recognizable. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, although, apparently, I was listening to... Oh, I found a podcast that's called Juvie's. And it is a, a couple of, like, Jewish guys who watch movies about and with Jewish people. It's like Black Man Can't Jump in Hollywood, but for Jewish people. Jew- Jewish people can't jump in Hollywood. <laughs> it's called Juvies. Um, is it spelled exactly how I think it's spelled? Yes, it is. Um, and so, but they mentioned that the guy, the, the, I want to call him the Babadook, and that's so not right. <laughs> The Dybbuk uh-huh. at the beginning of the film is, like, one of the world's four most famous Yiddish-speaking actors. Mm-hmm. So, like, <laughs> that guy. <laughs> but, yeah. So. Yeah, it's, um... Seems like five-ish. Yep, that, that's right. Five-ish, it's like Finkel or something. Five-ish. I think five-ish Finkel is right. I oh. think you did it. Yeah. <laughs> wow. My number one is O Brother, Where Art Thou? And I want to talk about why it's O Brother, Where Art Thou? Because, like, I will tell you that I think A Serious Man, Inside Lewin Davis, No Country for Old Men, Barton Fink, Miller's Crossing, Fargo, are all probably better made movies. That's okay. And that's fine. I'm not, I'm not needing to, like, defend it on the, like, the skill level that it is, as Gosh, I've said several a, times. This is a very loved movie. It is a very personal movie for me. Um... I think that the reason I love this movie is because of when and where I saw it. It's kind of one of those you never forget your first kind of things. So this was the first Coen Brothers movie that I saw in theaters. And outside of Raising Arizona, it's probably the first Coen Brothers movie that I saw. Um, Because Raising Arizona was... um, So this is 2000. I am uh, turning 15 or 15 when this comes out. And so Raising Arizona was a comedy. It was a PG-13 comedy. I could probably see it. And I don't think that I saw Fargo when it was new in theaters. Because I think it was an R-rated movie and I don't know if I could... I was not necessarily allowed to watch those all the time. Sometimes I was. It was dependent... It depends on who my mom was dating. You know, weird things about my life. Um, but... 
Oh, Brother is a movie that I end up seeing four times in theaters. Um, I just I just go back over and over and over to see this movie, and I remember the very first time that I saw it in theaters, just becoming overwhelmed with what the possibility of a movie could do. Um, and and as I think this experience that I had with Jurassic Park when I was a younger kid, I have a very similar experience when I'm a teenager with Oh Brother Where Art Thou. Like these two movies are very foundational in who I am and where my love comes from movies. And so Oh Brother is this movie that is I think is gorgeous. It is shot and color corrected to be in sepia tone, and but it just gives you this world that it builds of this 19, depression era South. I think it's Mississippi. And these criminals who are breaking out and who live in this lush world that's also barren at the same point. Its music is so fun and entertaining. Uh, Man of Constant Sorrow, which became this ginormous hit uh, in the early 2000s. And to the point where when they sing it the second time in the movie, like, this is the nerd that I am. I'm literally, I, there's nobody else in this movie theater except for me and my cousin. And like, because I'm loving this movie so much, I cannot help but stand and get up and like, we're literally dancing in the aisles as this movie is happening. We're the only people in the theaters. Um, but like, that is how much you're, that this- You're triggering me back to when I, I saw The Greatest Showman. I know, I know. Um, this movie just brings up such good love and just warm feeling in my heart that like yes it's also one of the very few movies again it's a Coen Brothers movie that has a happy ending he gets to reunite with his family and that's because it's based on the Odyssey and we're telling that story um, but I just it's just there's a connection to me and this film uh, I also think that it is a great retelling of the Odyssey I think that in terms of stories about the meaning of existence and the meaning of existential crisis i think the odyssey is a great story for the coen brothers to be adapting because it is all about the journey about getting home which is a lot of what they talk about and where they interact with people i think george clooney is amazing in the role of everett mcgill i love all the references to Depper dan and my hair and i could quote this movie for days i like do not seek the treasure i will say is out of context all the time um i the movie the soundtrack is something that i listen to all the time this movie made me think stephen root was a big deal because like stephen root is in this movie and i love him uh, it's okay. I thought Dodgeball made me think Stephen <laughs> was a big deal. Yeah, everyone's like Stephen Root's a big deal, right? Yeah. <laughs> uh, John Turturro and Tim Blake Nelson are just the best like buddies in all of time. I love that the film. Yes, Tim Blake Nelson actually sings, right? Yes. Uh, Tim Blake he, Nelson. He's the only one that actually. Uh, John Turturro sings, but he doesn't yodel. Okay. So like in the jailhouse now, he's singing there, but he's not yodeling there. But. Uh, Tim Blake Nelson actually has a Grammy because of the because of the soundtrack which won a Grammy uh, because he's the one that sings and then yeah a Man of Constant Sorrow I can't remember who actually did the Man of Constant Sorrow but it's not uh, man that 15 year old Josh's heart was broken when he found out that that was not um, George Clooney who was speaking who was singing sorry but I just I don't know I it's fun it, it I like the way that it it addresses racism and politics. I also enjoy that story that it's like trying to tell there with the whole like KKK thing that we go into and the Homer Stokes. Oh, yeah. And, and John Goodman as like the terrifying Cyclops. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's yeah. It, I just, 
I, I just, I can't, I can't not love this movie. It is, and I don't even know if I can give it justice as to why it's there, but there's just a special feeling that, to me, all the puzzle pieces of the Coens, this one comes together the most perfectly for me, and I'd watch it for a repeat on days. And like I said, it's probably because it was my first. It was probably because this is what made me fall in love with them. But yeah, Oh Brother Where Art Thou is my favorite Coen Brothers movie. Can I, can I ask what didn't work for you in it? Sure. What didn't work for you in it? Um, yeah, I just, so my, my letter of box review, which I really like, I really like how I phrased it, but I said, do not tempt me with your song, Siren. <laughs> <laughs> Whereas I was watching it, the music, so bluegrass isn't a... It's not a genre that I particularly like. Uh-huh. So as I was like, I was like, well, the music's not the thing that's connecting with me. Right. And then having watched Inside Lewin Davis, th- there are similarities between these yes. two films. Yes, not surprising. They are both on my top five. It's the, it's the, it's a musical, musical, it's a musical, music men yeah. <laughs> travel, going through this adventure in order to find who they are and get home and blah, blah, yes. blah, 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 blah. And so, like, when I was watching it, I was like, oh, I just, I saw something like this. Right. <laughs> um, and, and Inside Lewin Davis has that aesthetic that works a little bit more for me, where when I was watching Oh Brother, Where Art Thou, I was like, is this magic? <laughs> <laughs> it's not. It's not. It's heightened. It is. It's a, it's, it's more heightened than not. But I was just, yeah. I was just a little bit like, this, this isn't as succinct and tight for me as inside Lewin Davis there was. Um, yeah. And so, and so for me, I was like, I wonder if I had seen the other before. I, I still don't think, I think the music would not have hit me. Yeah. And I think, I think the music is a big thing. I know that people love the music of this and I was very interested that it was like, oh, this won a Grammy for Bluegrass, which hadn't happened in a while. And I was like, well, good for this. Yeah. Um, so I, I didn't, I don't hate the film. No, I know that. Yeah. And I think that it's a well-made film, but I was just like, eh, I'm not going to fool for this music. I'm really glad that you do have the perspective of watching it after Inside Lewin Davis, because I heard when Davis came out, there was several people that were like, well, we've seen Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? Like, this is a similar movie. And I was like, I think that they were playing in similar fields. Mm-hmm. But even if you look at, even in some differences of like, Lewin does it for the art, and... George Clooney's character does it for the to stay alive for the money purpose of it. His his constant can his constant thing is he's trying to get money and all that stuff. And so there's a fundamental difference there. But you are right that it feels really similar. They feel like similar movies and stories, and that's not necessarily a bad thing. Mm-hmm. But I, I wonder if now moving forward, if it's which one of these do you encounter first may help you with the other one. You know, and I think that. I think O Brother is just as tight as Lewin. I think it's a looser story and it's a looser adaptation. And therefore, and this is, Lewin is more of a Cohen creation. Mm-hmm. Therefore, I think that's why that feels a little tighter and comes together a little bit cleaner. Well, so there's yeah. this whole thing about whether John Turturro was a frog or not. <laughs> John Turturro is not a frog. No, yeah. I stopped the movie at that point and went on for a while thinking that he was a frog. <laughs> you and Delmar yourself? <laughs> Yep. They told me he was a frog. Yeah, they do. It's his his clothes, then, his, his clothes are laid out weirdly. <laughs> yeah, the sirens made it look like he was a frog. Yeah. yeah uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> they were coming back for the other two. Yeah, the siren. Uh, yeah. 
that's that's what they're that's what they're called. Mia Tate, Mustavander, and Christy Taylor Siren. Well, I mean they're the sirens from the Odyssey. Like I don't know the Odyssey. Oh, okay. So uh, it seems boring. Have you seen Oh Brother Where Art Thou? You know the Odyssey. <laughs> Uh, so there's an oracle that shows up that tells them everything that's going to happen on their journey home. Is he blind? Uh, yep, absolutely he's blind. Uh, and then uh, we go on a series oh, also, of... The, so the opening scene is them escaping from a, a chain gang yeah. who are all African-American prisoners. Mm-hmm. And yeah. then we got the white guys escaping. And I was like, I was like... That's not, yeah. I was like... You, Maybe if you put a few more white people in that chain game, it would have evened out. Can I can I counter that with? That's the point. No. Oh. Okay. Um, maybe if you would have put an African American fellow in, in your the trio, trio. Mm-hmm. because it's we not... do we do uh, we do pick up we do pick up the guy Tommy. Tommy. We get yep. cut off, sold yeah. the soul to the devil. It's true. He did. And I was like, is that? Is that is magic? I'm not <laughs> sure about this magic. But he job. actually does sell his soul. Maybe he met uh, Charlie. Is from that real? Is he? Did he? Real, is that a real thing? Yeah, he's all the soul of the devil. There's, there's a height. Well, because like, <laughs> you can also say that the guy chasing them, the big like sunglasses a guy, devil? is possibly a devil figure as well. Um, but yeah, no, that's my kind of thing. Is I was like, I. But for me. To say that in the South, in the Depression, that mm-hmm. a chain gang would be predominantly or 100% African Americans, that's actually probably realistic. Yes. You know, like, because of our institutional racism and stuff. Like, yes, like, that's that's probably a realistic part. But the mm-hmm. fact that, like, these three guys or the three that broke out just happened to be the three white guys, that's a little bad. But then again, I've also, like, you could turn around it to say, not that I believe this, that... Well, they probably would chain the only three white guys together so that there, if there was any sort of racism in their camp, there was at least they'd be able to separate the three white guys, you know. However, maybe, maybe, maybe cast an African American in that and put him in the trio as well. Make that a little bit more realistic. Marlon Wayans. Marlon Wayans. Who knew? Yeah. And again, that I think is something that you can ding the Coens on. I don't think... They're not perfect filmmakers by any means. And that I think that while I think they do try to put forward some marginalized characters, they're generally always white. Um, and even though they might be women or Jewish characters, as the, that's who they choose to put forward, they're not a diverse casting. You know, there, there are very few leading roles for people of color in their films. Mm-hmm. That's something that I think they can and hopefully will address moving forward. Because, I'm because so Oscar Isaac uh-huh is Guatemalan. So he and he is for sure the lead, the lead. of his film. Yeah. We've got Javier Bardem in the most interesting role. <laughs> yes, yeah. And what we walk away with. For sure, yes, uh-huh. We've got Marlon Wayne's. Yep. Tommy. Yeah. Um, I mean, the Lady Killers actually is weirdly their most diverse cast because mm-hmm. you also have the, the character of the general. And you also have the lady. Uh-huh. But yeah. So I think that's something that I'm hoping they do address. I'm excited that Joel Cohen, in his solo project at the least, like, he his lead is Denzel Washington, you know? And so that's a good step forward. Mm-hmm. It's an interesting turn to see that Macbeth as... Denzel. I think that I think that I think something I think the 
they hate me in this argument. I think that one of the things that has also kind of held them back from maybe being more diverse in their casting is a mm-hmm. lot of their films take place in the past. Yeah. And so, like, the argument is made of, like, well, this is what would be... Well, this is what you would expect yeah. of this time. Yeah. And so I think that that might also be a barrier in front of them, but, like, with this Macbeth thing, like, yeah, you Denzel. Go for it. Yeah. Like, I, I feel like... I feel like we, as a society, might not care that much. Um, and I, I won't, I can't speak for all of society, but I think that if you just, if you just go for it, like, we won't rise up against. Yeah. I think there's only six films in their canon that take place contemporarily to when they were made. Fargo. Yeah, I think that, see, that's one that I'm, like, I count, but Mythical like, seven. Yeah. It's a mythical seven, yeah. really. yeah. Uh, <laughs> Blood Simple. Blood Simple. Burn After Reading. Burn After Reading. It's not a movie. <laughs> Intolerable Cruelty. <laughs> you you had six? Yeah. Uh, okay, not that. One of them, I guess, is a... It's not a cheat. It's, it's not a cheat. It's there. Raising Arizona? Yeah. Okay. I have one more? Yeah. 90s. Big Lebowski. Lebowski. Yeah. It's made in 98. It's set when Bush is president. Oh, okay. Bush Sr. is president. So, like, okay. it's it's close. It's contemporary-esque. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I always get... I don't think making a I don't think making a film in nineteen ninety eight and setting it in nineteen ninety <laughs> is a real period. Piece. I get lost a little bit, Josh, in yeah. when times work. Yeah. yeah. So but that's a good argument that I think that maybe if they can make more contemporary films or maybe find again, I've said this argument before. Artists get to make the stories that artists want to make and that inspire them. Mm-hmm. Maybe challenge yourself to to different stories, and audiences get to choose the films that they go and see. Yes. And so, yeah. if the Coens continue and make these films that they want to make, but even less so, audiences and critics start kind of turning away from it. Then that is that is their call to either change as mm-hmm. filmmakers and rise to what the needs of critics and audiences their audiences want, or to fall by the wayside. Yeah, and I think that in a weird way that, though I do, like I said, I do think they represent marginalized characters in their films. It's just not the ones that that we talk about a lot. Um, And so I think that's helpful for them. None of their white male characters generally feel very oppressive. Like you said, they're all a bunch of losers. They're not necessarily representing the 1% white male. You know, so they are giving... I think the the only one would be George Clooney in Intolerable Cruelty. Yeah, absolutely. He like I feel like, but I that's the. I mean, point. I guess technically you could also say that for Burn After Reading mm-hmm. because there are a lot of one percenters in that. But again, that's the point. Mm-hmm. You know, they're lampooning those characters. Um, in comparison to like a Wes Anderson, who we talked about earlier with something like Isle of Dogs, where. The public kind of spoke on that movie a little bit. Like, he got some awards for it, but it didn't do very well. And, like, that film was wrapped in the controversy of it. Mm-hmm. Let's see how he responds. I mean, he's got kind of a little bit of a history of cultural tourism in a lot of ways. Um, but we'll see how he responds, if he responds. Mm-hmm. No one's asked the Coens to do anything different yet. We're supporting their films still. 
I just think it's it's helpful to have these things. And even again, I'm not going to put everything on one casting decision, but I think it's a good sign that Joel's like, no, I'm going to put Denzel in here as Macbeth. Well, we're hoping he's Macbeth. I think he's listed on IMDb as okay. Macbeth. Okay, good. No, or Macduff. <laughs> Fine. <laughs> yes. Um, but yeah, who knows? Maybe he's everything. Maybe it's just a two-person show. Maybe he's show. Lady Macbeth. <gasps> oh. <laughs> he's the Lady McBee and Francis is McBee? Love it. That, that would be an interesting turn of Macbeth. Yeah, right? Um, although, like, although Lady Macbeth, far more interesting yeah, than, absolutely. than Mr. Macbeth. Yeah, yeah. All right, friends. Um, I think we've done it. I think we've gone through the Coen brothers. I think we have uh, talked about their filmography. Guess how long this episode is? An hour and a half? Two hours. This episode's two hours? It's an hour 51. So Shoot far. dang! Before any editing there has occurred. Go. Well, thank you so much for listening. Uh, we hope you've enjoyed these episodes. Uh, I know I appreciate Kylie for going through them with me. I, this has been a really fun experience, and I, I appreciate that I got to share it with her and with all you guys as well, because the Coens are my favorite filmmakers. So. Yay, now we get to watch something not so bleak! Uh, yeah, Toy Story 4. And Yesterday! <laughs> <laughs> and Spider-Man Far From Home! No, yeah, we're coming back to superhero movies, Kylie. You got, like... Yeah, like a month-ish when we're recording. It was kind of nice to not have to do a whole episode on, like, Dark Phoenix and to not have to do, like, oh, let's rank the X-Men and then I have to watch all the X-Men and be familiar with the X-Men. Yeah. That was something about going into Dark Phoenix, I forgot. Hmm, character <laughs> connections. <laughs> Where I got there and I was like, oh, yeah, Storm knows who Magneto is. They oh. used to be homies. <laughs> Did they? <laughs> Yeah, they're on Apocalypse's team together. Are they? Oh, I don't remember this at all. Oh, you gotta... Oh, Josh, you gotta read I don't Apocalypse. own Apocalypse! <laughs> <laughs> it's over at Safeway. Like, I could go buy it, but it's full price. And I, like, it's I've a, had it... I've, oh, can I say something? Yeah. Because everyone screams to the heavens, Last Stand, and Wolverine Origins, and I watched those once and said, no more. But... I, when I think of Apocalypse, like, those other films, I'm just like, yeah, those are bad films. But I get vitamically <laughs> angry when I think about X-Men Apocalypse. A, I don't want to pay full price for it because I don't like it. But B, I was like, I, I almost bought it one day. I was looking at the back and I was like, ugh. Oh, Deadpool 2 then. Brian Singer. Oh, yeah, he directed it. I don't think I can give him full price. Uh, that's right. <laughs> yeah. No, my X-Men collection is not as complete right now. It's okay. You don't need to. I don't I don't put... I under. I understand Deadpool. It's not in my X-Men rankings. He is in my X-Men rankings because he has X-Men characters in his film. Ugh, he's got Colossus. It's not even the same Colossus. It's N fine. Negasonic Death Warrior? Death yeah, Girl? from the she's an X-Men character, but not from They're these literally films. wearing X-Men costumes. I don't care. In the second one, there's literally X-Force, which is a spinoff of X-Men. I didn't kill my wife. I don't care. Do not seek the treasure. <laughs> I had a dream about my daddy. <laughs> Dang, we're in a tough spot. That's just like... It's your opinion, man. Over the line! You're over the line! Market zero! <laughs> I got a number! <laughs> what if it were so simple? What did it twer? What did it twer? What did it twer so simple? <laughs>
trippingly, trippingly, whether it was such a noble trippingly. No, don't say it trippingly, say the line trippingly. <laughs> Lawrence. It's Lawrence. Lawrence? It's fine, just call me Lawrence. <laughs> Lawrence. Oh, man, girl, I thought it was Lawrence. That's, that's Lawrence now. You can call me my Christian name. <laughs> Give Rafe an Oscar. How did? Oh, I know that you once went on the thing before oh, yeah. I knew who John Turturro was. You were like, John Turturro deserves an Oscar. Give him an Oscar. Well, you know who deserves one? Rafe, Rafe. Fines. Yes, John Goodman also. Does he have any noms? No. He doesn't even have a nom. No. Does John Turturro have noms? I don't think so. <laughs> Stop hating on Cohen actors. There's more people than Francis McDormand. I don't... Can I tell you that, like, I love her as Marge, and I love her as Abby. Linda Litsky and whatever her character name is in The Man Who Wasn't There. Not my favorite performances <gasps> from her. That's so boring. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Linda is hard... Linda is a monster. Like, I that character is hard to watch sometimes. Is that Burn After Reading? Yeah. Her name in uh, The Man Who Wasn't There is Doris. That makes sense. In Hail Caesar, she's the editor, right? Yeah, she's good. Oh, now. that's a good that's scene. That's a good scene. Yeah, yeah. I love everything in Hail Caesar. <laughs> everything. I mean, pretty much. I also love Tilda as the dueling uh, gossip reporters. They're sisters. Uh, all right, friends. If you want to join this conversation, and why wouldn't you? You can do so at friendofafriendpodcast at squarespace.com. You can also find us on Apple Podcasts and iTunes. If it's a five-star review or any star review, as well as hit that subscribe button. And you're a nihilist. He's a nihilist. Don't worry, Donnie. There's nihilists. Shut up, Donnie! <laughs> Shut up! You can't just join a conversation in the middle of it and expect to understand everything! So good! I think this, uh, <laughs> I think this podcast really brought the room together, everybody. That's what we did. Frances McDormand's going to be in a film directed by Chloe Zhao. Oh, that's exciting. I know. Kind of. Oh, okay. Well, I, okay, listen, I've only got one Chloe Zhao experience, and I didn't love the writer. But you liked it, right? It was fine. Yeah. Yeah, I'm on board. Okay. You can also find us on Facebook at Friend of a Friend Podcast. You can find us on Twitter at... Twitter at... Uh, DWT underscore yeah. What? Pod, DWT underscore podcast. YouTube's. Ducks Watch Together. Tumblers. Ducks Watch Together. Letterboxd. WACT and Kylie Gallisher. Thank you so much for listening. I've been Josh. Quack, 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 quack. quack, quack, quack. Get out of here, Peter Stormare.